Before we start our tale tonight, I would like to take a moment and thank the following patrons for their generous support. Sherry Boyce, who has been a constant source of support and inspiration, as well as friendship, and Sorrell Burnett Thompson, who has recently become a subscriber and patron. These stories would not be possible without your support. I can't thank you enough, and I hope you enjoy our new dark story. Thank you. Well, hello, and welcome back to Dark Stories from the Campfire. For this episode, we have a tale of a young girl who is given away to an abbey, then forced into the long disregarded practice of anchorage, where, after many years, she begins having visions. We present to you the confession of Sister Juliana. I must admit, this is not the first time I have seen the inside of these walls, but it shall be the last if he wills it. To be clear, I'm not seeking redemption, for that time is long since past, but only for you to listen to my testament with a clear heart, and to understand the misguided actions that led to my conviction. All I ask is to see, to walk through my garden one last time, before the last brick is placed, and the small opening that you are listening to me now through is sealed forever. This I pray. I was five or thereabouts, and I was sold, as it were, to the Abbey of St. Elizabeth. My father, being a poor farmer, was in need of seed and supplies, as the previous year's drought had all but ruined his land, and the Abbey was more than willing to help. It will be a prosperous year, I can feel it, my father told the abbess. What he desired was loaned to him with the condition that I would be held as collateral, that his return at the end of the following season was to be expected, as well as his repayment of the loan in double. But alas, my father did not return the following year, nor the year after, so I became property of the Abbey. Of course, it was Sister Anne who relayed this to me many years later. I remember those early years as being more or less happy. The younger nuns seemed to enjoy having me around, as well as my assisting with the chores and the meals. It was in those years I was shown how to read and write, how to sew, and more importantly, to me anyway, how to tend the garden. It was here that I fell in love, and each Friday, immediately after midday prayers, I would fly into the garden, spending the next few hours watering, trimming, and caressing the flowers and plants. This was simply not a frivolous luxury that had been bestowed upon me. On the contrary, rather. Being secluded from the world, not only did we grow our own food, we had to concoct our own medicines as well, which required a variety of plants and understanding how to handle them. Which, yes, as you already know, included the unfortunate flower, the belladonna. So unfortunate. Be that as it may, I cherished every moment in the garden and prayed that I'd be released from my other duties and be able to spend my entire day amongst the flowers. And while the younger nuns seemed pleased by my presence, the older nuns were more traditional in their beliefs, regarding my presence more as a nuisance rather than anything joyous. For whenever I was caught in a room with one of them alone, there was no hesitation from them to hiss at me, to threaten punishment for what they saw as immature behavior. In the end, I was left unscarred, though, and they tolerated me insofar as I remained out of their way and was silent. Unscarred, I say. That was until Sister Agnes declared her intent of spending the remainder of her years as an anchoress that I should accompany her. 
I was eight years old at the time when I was informed of her decree. Initially, I was confused by the notion, having very little understanding of what it meant. Of course, this was not helped by the fact that since the practice of anchorage had fallen out of fashion centuries earlier, none of the nuns whom I interacted with on a daily basis could properly explain it to me. In the end, it fell to the abbess to explain the process and the ritual and what my duties would be once enclosed inside the walls, these very walls, with Sister Agnes. In the meantime, I would be temporarily released to do as I pleased, until the priest that was sent for had arrived and the workers finished their construction of our new chambers. Immediately I ran towards the garden, where I would spend every waking moment in over the course of the next month. Until one morning I was refused entry to the garden, but instead told to dress in my black morning robe and meet Father Mathis in the chapel. The chapel was empty when I entered, save Sister Agnes's body, draped in white, lying by the altar in her funeral bed. I approached gently and looked upon her face in silence. At length I stood there listening to the outside noise echo throughout the empty chamber. Then suddenly, out of the corner of my eye, I saw Father Mathis emerge from a small hole in the wall and walk towards where I and Sister Agnes were. He asked if I was aware of why I was there and if I understood what was going to happen. I nodded in the affirmative, and he smiled back at me gently. Truth be told, I was scared. Father Mathis must have sensed this, for he took me by the hand and escorted me to the small hole in the wall and showed me the small room in which I would be living with Sister Agnes. For you see, Sister Agnes had not decided to have a small house constructed away from the abbey for her acreage. She had, in fact, resolved to live within the walls of the abbey itself. The worker simply extended the wall out to accommodate two people, as well as adding two holes in which food and water could be passed through. It was here that was shown another important feature. A small string had been attached to the ceiling that when pulled a bell would ring. The priest answered my question before I could ask, for when Sister Agnes finally expires and finds her way to God, only then pull the string and someone will come for you. After which Father Mathis led me back to the chapel to wait for the rest of the nuns so we could begin Sister Agnes's ritualistic funeral. The nuns had gathered, and while the priest repeated words of blessing, Sister Agnes's body was carried to her new resting spot and laid down a pile of straw in the chamber within the walls. I was ushered in with them and asked to kneel before her body to pray for her soul as Father Mathis recited the last rites. I prayed still as the priest exited back through the hole and the final bricks were set in place. Save the little bit of light that crept in through the holes for food, this new chamber was shrouded in darkness. I continued to pray till a voice said, You may stop now, my child. I looked up to see Sister Agnes sit up on the straw, stretch her arms and say, Fetch me some bread and water. And with that, my new life and duties had begun. For the next ten years, I would reside within the chamber in the walls of the abbey with Sister Agnes, who, as the days and months passed, grew weaker, barely moving from the straw on which she slept and prayed. We spent most of our time in silent prayer during the day, only stopping to allow me to prepare our meager meal of broth and bread, during which I would read aloud passages from the Bible while we ate. In the evening, while the light dwindled, for we were not allowed any candles, I would mend our clothes, for we were only given two sets, one for summer, the other for winter. And that was our world. We would go weeks without directly speaking to each other, and none of the other nuns ever stopped by to engage with us to review our conditions. 
You have to understand, when one takes the burden of anchorage upon themselves, they are dead to the world, and your existence, even your name, is forbidden to be spoken of or acknowledged. It was during my seventh year, living in seclusion with the Acherists, that I received my first vision. Initially, I had no idea what to make of it. They were images whose meanings were unknown to me. I spent the next several days trying to understand what I had seen and debating with myself on whether or not I should mention the visions to the Acherists. You may be thinking, perhaps it was a dream. At the time, I would have agreed with you, for it would be almost a year before I received my second vision. It was during our morning prayers that I felt something take hold of me and forced me to watch as the chamber walls faded away before finding myself in an open green field with the sun high above me. Further on in the distance, I could see a patch of wheat. For several minutes, I stood, feeling the sun upon my face, watching the wheat, when it began to part and a blurry figure emerged dressed in all black, making its way towards me. Soon, I realized the figure was Sister Agnes, dressed in her habit, and she was holding a cup that was leaking from the bottom in her right hand. I ran towards her as fast as I could, for it sounded as if she was calling out to me, though as I grew nearer, I could tell she was not saying my name. She was repeating, free me, free me. My vision went black, and I found myself back in the chamber on my knees next to Sister Agnes who collapsed in exhaustion once she finished her prayers. What was she trying to tell me? I felt I needed to talk to her, to tell her what was shown to me in the hope she could provide an interpretation and some answers. Over the next several weeks, I attempted to broach the subject, but to no avail. For each time I broke the silence between us, Sister Agnes simply put up her hand and asked me to read to her. I remained uneasy. It was late one night, Months after my second vision, I was awoken by a sound of rushing water, and I could feel a breeze brush across my face. Sitting up, I once again found myself in the open field as the sun made its final descent across the horizon. At my feet were two cups, one feeding the other, to the cup being depleted, fell on its side, and dissolved into the grass. Then, much like my previous vision, everything around me went black, and I found myself back in the chamber, staring at Sister Agnes, who was wheezing and coughing in her sleep. It was then I realized what my visions were trying to tell me. To be sure, and you must believe me, I did not enact my plan right away, for I was scared to actually go through with it. I could see her struggling more and more to complete her prayers. Seeing that gave me no other option but to proceed with my vision, so one night I held my hand upon her head and promised to free her. Over the course of the next several months, I fed her less and less, taking her share for myself. Never once did she say anything, never once did she complain. Some days she barely raised herself up for her daily prayers. I knew I was doing the correct thing, despite what the sisters may have told you, if I was following the vision which I had been burdened with. What else was I to do? Sister Agnes wanted to be released from her anchorage and the solution was placed in my hands. So with that, I stopped giving her food altogether, telling her every morning they finally forgot about us, that no food was left in the holes. I ate silently while she slept late in the night. You know the ending, of course, that one morning no breath came from Sister Agnes, that after ten years I was finally able to reach up and ring the bell. The next day I could hear someone chipping away at the walls. 
I would love to say I was welcomed back into the fold with open arms, but of course I was not, and for a while I was treated as though I remained within the walls. Nonetheless, I was able to return to my garden, which had grown immensely since my last visit. It was the garden that kept me content and broke the isolation. That and Sister Anne, of course, who remembered me yet as a child and grew to be my only confidant. It was her who would later inform me of the suspicions the other nuns felt towards me, and when I emerged from the walls, they thought it odd I was not as frail as Sister Agnes's body. I told Sister Anne about my visions about the cups and Sister Agnes asking to be freed. She only smiled back in response, saying God's message to me was private, and in time all will be healed. I had not spoken about it since. I continued my daily routine, spending any free time I had out in the garden. Everything was going fine, improving actually in many respects when the announcement was made that we were to have an important visitor. From the little information we are told, our guest was a prosperous landlord who the abbess was hoping to impress in order to pull a generous donation from to assist in repairs of some of the rooms and kitchen. So we were to double our efforts in cooking and cleaning, even though his arrival was many weeks off. I must admit, even though the other nuns busied themselves to make the place ready, I had completely put it out of my mind, as it was no concern to me, so I was completely unaware when he finally arrived. I just happened to be making my way down the hall, towards the laundry, when I noticed an older gentleman standing in front of one of the doors, giving orders to his servants on how to properly arrange the room for his comfort. I kept my head down, having no intention to include myself in this situation, but was interrupted when the gentleman turned to give me greetings. Politely, I rose my head to return the greeting, but before I could reply, I stopped cold, dropping my linen upon the ground. It was only for a second that I stood transfixed on his face before recovering my senses, apologized and picked up my linen, continuing down the hall. And yet, for the rest of the day, his face remained with me. It was that night my visions returned. I found myself in a market, surrounded by throngs of people pushing carts and animals. I was pushing myself forward, going from vendor to vendor whose cart was all empty, save the one at the end of the market where two men stood bartering over a wrapped package. One of the two was unrecognizable to me. However, the second resembled the Abbey's visitor, but clothed in a green tunic with holes. After some moments of conversation, the visitor in green nodded his head, handing the package to the other in exchange for a handful of dark-colored berries. It was no secret what this meant. The face they saw in the hallway, as well as the vision, was my father's, and rage began to grow in me. Naturally, I had to make sure, for I was very young, a child, remember, the last time I had seen him. Knowing the guests would be residing in the abbey for the next few weeks, I resolved myself to approach him only when the time was right, and only when he was alone. As it happened, I did not have to wait long. As I entered the garden for my usual afternoon visit, I noticed our guest bent over admiring our lilies. As soon as he was aware of my entrance, he immediately stood up and greeted me, bowing. I returned the greeting and proceeded to my corner to continue my work. However, no sooner had I turned around than he stopped me and began asking questions about the flowers, the different techniques we used to cultivate them. I answered as best I could, for it was apparent his knowledge was greater than my own. The conversation went on for a few minutes longer, before we both grew silent. He turned, apologized for keeping me from my duty, but thanked me anyway, and began to walk away. 
I knew this might be my only chance to get the questions I seek answered. Quickly I asked what brings him to the abbey, as it is secluded and not located close to any of the main roads between towns. He sighed and explained to me the abbey had been good to him in the past, and that they were able to lend him supplies and seed when he was younger and poor. The abbey's gift was able to help him prosper, enabling him to buy more land, which he began renting out, leading to more wealth, and that within a decade he was now living in the largest house in the valley. It was time, he said, to finally pay back and assist the church in whatever they may need. Your family must be very proud of you, I said, especially your children. A daughter, perhaps, can now marry well. The visitor did not answer, merely stared off into the distance. At length, he finally said, I lost my wife many years ago to a fever. I bowed my head, giving him my condolences. As for children, he said quickly, I had a daughter. Here he stopped and turned to face me. There was a deep sadness in his eyes. There was an apprehension in me as I waited for him to finish, and a yearning to hear him say what I needed to hear, to hug me and to omit the truth. It was all in vain, for he simply said, I lost her too. With that, he turned, exited the garden, and made his way back to the abbey, leaving me empty. I was confused. Hadn't he recognized me? Wasn't he aware of who I was? Did he never seek to discover what had happened to his daughter after he sold her to the very same abbey he was currently residing in for a sack of seed? My heart filled with rage. I thought back to the scared child who was walled up with an aging nun, and the silence and isolation she had to endure for ten years, then the outcast treatment and rumors she was subject to once she was released. I thought back to my vision of the market and the wrapped sack and the berries, yes, the berries. I waited in my room till nightfall, only emerged once everybody was in their rooms. I crept out to the garden, gently making my way towards the belladonnas and plucked two berries off a stem, then re-entered back into the building. Verily, I didn't have much of a plan, only a determination. I moved as silently as possible back to my room, careful not to crush the berries. When, by chance, I say chance, but it could have been very much fate by his divine calling. I saw one of the other nuns making her way down the main hall with a lamp in one hand and a tray carrying a single cup in the other. I nearly startled her when I revealed myself from the shadows and inquired where she was going. She informed me she was on her way to the visitor's room with his nightly glass of wine. A dreadful thought came into my mind. I told her how happy I was to have encountered her, for I was also on my way to the kitchen to fetch his glass of wine that we had met earlier in the garden, and he asked me to pay him a visit later to talk more of the flowers. The nun bowed and handed me the tray, and I watched her and the light recede down the hall. When I knew it was safe, I placed the berries into the cup, and using a piece of my sleeve, pressed the berries into the wine till I felt them pop and their juices empty. I placed the tray with the cup in front of the door, knocked, then retreated back to the darkness of the hall. The screams the following morning told me the body of our guests had been found, and next to him, I am sure, the empty cup. And here we come to the end of my confession. Again, I seek no redemption. That what propelled me were no dreams or fits of madness, but divine will spoken to me in a language only I could hear. To be sure, I have no idea what happened to the body of our visitor. Most likely, he was buried in one of the open fields surrounding the abbey, 
and any individuals inquiring about his whereabouts will be told their guests left early one morning heading west. As for myself, it was decided I should spend the rest of my life in repentance and devotion. The chamber in which I fought to survive will now be my tomb, for once you leave, the last brick will be placed, for even the openings for food and water have been sealed, and I will be shut off to the world, spending my days in darkness at the walls of the abbey. So please, each time you find yourself in our chapel, leave a flower outside the wall so I can, little by little, feel closer to my garden.